so I can also take over the role of doing interviews and being the shining golden child of Activate. Coming on fantastic oh, podcasts. Fantastic. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist. Today's show I was very excited for. We're talking to Sam Ancliffe from Activate. Now, Activate are a conservative youth group and grassroots organization that have just formed and have formed in the wake of a serious amount of controversy. We get into that in the interview, as well as talking about what he feels the conservatives can offer young people, and about the inconsistencies in my mind between the conservative message in Parliament and what they say they're going to do. Today's podcast is sponsored by YouGov. Sign up now using the link below to start earning money for giving your opinion. If you enjoy the show, you can share us on Facebook, Twitter, rate and review the show on iTunes, and subscribe so you get our podcast every time it comes out. So let's get on with the interview. So Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, well I was I was glad that we could we could get you on after seeing so much controversy over the last week since you guys had your we say slightly ill-fated launch it's one way you could put it but uh considering we haven't even launched yet i think it's been very successful considering fact we've now got a national platform from nothing effectively well if you consider successful to be you know you you've definitely got a name out there maybe maybe that's all you need these days so you know, fair play to you. You've 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 gone for it. You've got a lot of attention. Maybe not all the right kind of attention, but you know, there's nothing, no such thing as bad publicity. I guess they say. <laughs> that was the saying, so I'm happy to use that one if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I wanted to to start with why you felt it was necessary to start or get involved with Activate. Like, what? Why did you see it as a, a necessary body for the conservatives? or conservative supporters to, to get involved with and to, to start? I think there's a gap for it, massively. I mean, uh, I left the army a couple of years ago now, and there was nothing for me to really get involved with politics of, within my age group, you know. It was a, very much a case of me sitting around with a bunch of grey old men, and it's, uh, it's not the most welcoming environment. I mean, I am obviously a die-hard political geek, so... I could push past that, but many people won't push past that. They'll walk into their first meeting and they'll see a bunch of grey old men and not them think, oh, I don't belong here, this isn't for me. And that's the problem. When you've got that level of separation, people won't want to get engaged and it actually blocks people from a political life. Now, all the other political parties have youth wings. Liberal Democrats have Rome, obviously Labour's got momentum. There is always something there, except for within the Conservative Party, since Conservative Futures went there was no option for young conservatives. And someone came to me, he was 17 years old, and uh, I can't even remember exactly how he got my attention now, but uh, he said he was looking at starting something up, and it's escalated from there. And over the last four weeks, it's gone from being just a little whisper of an idea to a national organisation. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you... You guys have, have got things off the ground so quickly for, for your sake. Um, it is, in my mind, always useful to have groups on both sides um, to, to 
give a little bit of opposition to bad ideas. You know, whether whether you think whether well where you stand on what's being put forward by any party is always going to differ depending on who you are. But I think having a, a good conversation is always useful because it helps to refine ideas, no matter how far left or right you might lean. There's there's never going to be a perfect left or right wing government. So like having a, having a strong opposition, as as you know, the conservatives often lament that Labour haven't quite been the opposition that they could have been over the past few years. And now I think we're starting to get to that position. So it's nice to see sort of younger people looking for more right-wing ideas. But I, I'm honestly curious as to what you think the Conservative Party has to offer young people. Like you, you talk a lot about on your website about um, you want to offer global opportunities for young people. You want to make a success of Brexit want a true meritocracy where people get their value for money with education, want sustainable housing and a, a generation of homeowners to be created, and you believe in the fight against climate change, and you want to support businesses with the environment in mind. And all of those things, I, I personally am very supportive of those ideas. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Brexit in general. I think it's being handled horrendously. But, you know, there's there's obviously a scenario in which it could work that's not where we're heading at the minute but you know um you can say you want to make a success of it that's very fair but yeah i just i I feel like there's a pretty big disconnect to what you're suggesting that you guys want to fight for and what the conservative party in parliament are pushing for like they sold off the green investment bank they really aren't addressing the housing crisis you know we're not building anywhere near enough homes we may have had i think the the best month, or sorry, the best year of home building in, uh, in quite a few years, but still we're not even halfway to the amount of homes we need to be building a year. doesn't seem any push to, you know, make it uh, affordable for young people. Like, I, I, I'm curious as to what you see as the Conservative Party can offer to young people, because to me, it seems like they're not really a viable option. You know, maybe, maybe maybe I'm being naive, but I think that's the opinion of a lot of people. Well, personally, I think there is a lot the Conservative Party can offer young voters. But the problem is that it's hard to make them sound sexy. You know, you can't go around screaming about strong fiscal policy. It doesn't sound great to hear. But actually, what conservatism stands for is exactly what all young people should be striving for. I mean, I am a true ideological conservative in that... I believe that everyone should be given equal opportunity to climb their way up the ladder, to improve their lot in life. And, you know, I came from council housing. I now own my own house. I've climbed that ladder. I've improved my lot in life. And hopefully my children will do it a little bit further than me and so on and so forth. That's the essence of conservatism. It's about escalating your lot in life. Now, when you look on a policy side of things, there's never going to be anything related to economics but is ever going to straight away go oh yeah that's designed for young people it won't happen like that but actually all the things that are coming in will indirectly affect things so if you've got a strong economic uh, a strong economy then you have more jobs you have but the problem is as well the balance you have you need better wages so for better wages it needs to be a competitive economy it needs to be the right kind of skills it doesn't need to be a surplus of skills i mean i have a background as a recruiter and degrees have become far less valuable than they were 20 years ago because they're now saturated in the market. And it's all about creating that balance. So two things that I will throw out there 
Um, one, because you mentioned housing. Um, so there has been a massive housing shortage. There's not been enough houses being built. But actually, the Conservative government has announced that we will build, I believe it was 1 million homes by 2020, which is ambitious, certainly. But even if you only get halfway there, it's a long way towards doing it. I think and the figure they promised was 1.5 million. But we're only three years away from there. And currently, they're only building... 162,000 homes started this year. So that's still a long way short of where they want to go. And I think that plays to the larger point. People very much see that the Conservatives are paying lip service to these ideas, but they're not actually putting them into practice. Like it's it's just the same as, as David Cameron saying that they were going to have the greenest government ever. And then you know, they scrapped solar subsidies, they've stopped pushing for onshore wind farms, they've sold off the Green Investment Bank just as it starts to become profitable to a company who has a, a history of asset stripping and like running public services into the ground. Like, I, I don't see where that is a, a reasonable and solid economic policy. Like, you're talking about a strong economy. Like, at what point does it make sense to pump lots of public money into? Like we'll say the Green Investment Bank, and then just as it become, starts to become profitable, they sell it off to a, a private firm and lose the opportunity to reap the rewards of all that investment. Well, to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about Green Investment Bank, so I wouldn't be able to comment on any specifics, but at least from a very outside point of view, when I don't actually know the details of it, it's a case that you know, every investment has its equal merits and its disadvantages. And without knowing those, I wouldn't be able to say whether it's a wise choice or not. Okay, well, the the basic premise was that, you know, they were they were struggling to get, they weren't able to borrow in certain debt markets and that they felt like it would open the, the bank up to more, you know, more private investment. But they were already generating three pounds of private investment for every pound of public money put in. And it, it's just, and it's something that's happening generally is the kind of privatization of a lot of services that people believe should be kept public. And again, that, that doesn't seem to a lot of people like a, a smart economic policy. And I still, I still, I think that, so like in 2015, the 18 to 29 year old vote, the conservatives had 32% and labor had 36%. Whereas now, um, I don't have the specific figures for 18 to 29, but, um, you look at 18 to 19, 20 to 24, and 25 to 29, it's the Conservatives hovering around 20% of the vote and Labour over 60% of the vote. And I think that speaks to the fact that young people don't see the Conservatives as a viable option. And when they pay lip service to ideas that young people believe they should, you know, believe they should support, that by not following through with that, that you're actually turning younger voters off because you're just seen as sort of not dismissing the important issues, but really not being that concerned about issues that young people see as a as things that they're really, really, you know, pressing and, and important to their futures. And you know, I, I, like I said, I, I still don't see where the Tories are offering young people like opportunities. Well, I completely agree. You know, if something is promised, it needs to be followed through. Um, I mean, the other point that I was going to bring up that is extremely positive for anyone, uh, regardless of any age group, um, 
but actually particularly for young voters, is for new technical education that's going to be rolling in shortly, which I think is absolutely brilliant. I dropped out of school at 15. I didn't have a great time at school. And so for me, well, I soon learned that school doesn't work for everyone as it currently stands today. And I was having this conversation with someone that you can't have that one size fits all for everyone. So by bringing in this option, it gives everyone equal opportunity to go on and do something that they want to do in a way that they can do it successfully. And likewise for employers, that then gives them skilled people. I mean, right now there's a huge shortage of pretty much all the trades because everyone's going to university, but none of people are going to college to study plumbing or electrical work or bricklaying. So if we can start correcting that imbalance, one, it creates a competitive job market when all those skills are not in a dire shortage as some of them are, but also not oversaturated like some of them are, which then also will naturally improve wages as well. And that is something that is not being sold very well to people right now, is that they're not seeing the benefits because no one's telling them what the benefits are. You know, it's someone's going out and saying, oh, we're bringing this to technical schools. And it's like, okay, great, don't know what that is. And that's it, that's the end of the conversation there. And it's until they start being sold a bit better that I don't think we're going to start correcting that imbalance. And that's where I feel that a lot of politicians are falling back massively right now. Well, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more in terms of technical colleges. Obviously, we have a, a little bit of an oversaturation of, of people coming out of university with degrees, but I don't see that as being the, the major issue with education at the minute. I see the major issue being the fact that people are getting charged nine thousand pounds a year with a six percent interest rate, and again, on a by a company that has been the student loans company is is privately run, that has been sold off, and now you know government doesn't really have control over it. Like someone who's coming out with £27,000 of debt, I think I saw the other day that by the time that, so say they never earned more than 21000 by the time that they, the period in which they would be able to pay it off would end, they would have accrued £100,000 of debt. Like that's, I think that, that whilst it, technical colleges are a fantastic way to improve the, the skills of a workforce, that again that it it's a smaller minority than than the massive amount of people who need to go to university now to become viable in the jobs market like and as much as you say that a degree isn't as valuable as it was 20 years ago that's only because we've become generally more educated as a country in my mind anyway and that I agree because jobs require we have less jobs requiring skills that don't require university education like the you can't say that like some of the biggest industries in Britain are tech sectors, so like tech startups, cybersecurity firms, like that sort of thing. And people need to go and get, you know, a degree and then maybe even a master's to become um, really skilled in those areas. And the Conservatives not really offering people like a financial, financially viable way for them to, to take that is... Is again, it's it. I think it's part of the reason that people are being and being turned off from from voting conservative, amongst amongst other reasons. Well, I think tuition fees, you know, they're often quite misunderstood. You know, uh, I mean, I'm actually starting a degree myself this month, and quite frankly, I would be very surprised if I ever pay off. Most people do not pay off that debt because it gets written off eventually anyway. But what that does allow is that the people who do work go on to earn absolute bucket loads, you know, six figure plus salaries will pay off that money. And so they should, you know, if they're earning an absolute fortune, 
then surely they should have to pay back more. You know, that's how taxes work. And all the student loan is, is effectively a deferred tax. You know, the state will give you a certain amount of money and then they will tax it from your salary. If you don't earn enough, you don't pay a penny. If you earn ridiculous amounts, you pay a lot back. Now, but what it does allow, and the perfect example is Scotland, because they obviously have free tuition there. Now, there's an index, which I can't for the life of me remember the name of, uh, but effectively it measures the equality between people going to university and their backgrounds. And in the UK, on average, excluding Scotland, where we have to pay for tuition, that index is about one to two. So one out of two people will be working class that go to university in the wider United Kingdom. In Scotland, it's two to three. One out of three will be. And that's because there's not enough spaces because they can't afford it. Whereas this way, the universities have that guarantee. They can fund more spaces and they can get more people into university, which then opens it up to more people from working class background. Because as it stands in Scotland, the only people who go to university are the ones who can afford private tutors before they go there. I do, I do take your point, and I, do, I have seen that statistic, and it is interesting, but there's a very big difference between f completely free education and affordable education. Like, since the, the tuition fees have been raised to nine grand, vice, uh, vice chairman salaries at universities in England have risen on average 50%, and they were about 150 grand a year before tuition fees tripled. So... Do you really think that, that allowing universities to, char to, to pay exorbitant amounts of money to the executives and, and sort of vice chairman and vice chancellors that are running the universities is a, is a smart way to spend people's money? Like there's a, there's a big difference between, say, nine grand that's never going to be paid off and, say, three thousand pounds. Like that would, that would be a, a much more affordable way for people to, to go to university. Like I... I went to university at Queen's in Belfast. I was lucky that Northern Ireland is only three and a half thousand a year. And that to me seems like a much more reasonable figure. Like honestly, I, I'm not from a working class background, like, but I would have had to seriously consider whether I wanted to go to university if it had been 9,000 pounds a year. And I don't see how having the debt hanging over people who maybe will never pay it off is an, a good way to start people's lives off post post university like when they're maybe just starting to earn what they need to be able to earn to pay back why not you know give them the freedom to put that money in a savings account for a deposit for a house for example or you know and then charge people on a you know in their tax bracket because like you said if people are taking a degree and earning the very highest amounts of money then they'll be paying back into the into the system anyway so surely like just having a private company there charging interest on a whole load of loans that are never going to be paid back and then written off by the government is just creating a bubble and, and not really having a, a smart way to to deal with how to pay for education well i think i mean everything you said completely true uh, but i don't think the problem in is the student tuition fees themselves to be honest i think the problem is i mean i'll address sort of your points one by one as a kind of makes a bit more sense in my head to be honest okay. uh, but it's like you're saying you know the vice chairman receiving exorbitant salaries that's wrong but that's a failing of university you know that money that they should be receiving should be focusing on providing a better education not paying someone to 
sit there and sign a bit of paperwork every now and then. Okay, but then the look at look at the the Conservatives have walked back their promise to cap boardroom pay. You know, that that would have been the perfect sort of measure to rein that sort of spending in, but they've walked back on it. And th- this goes to my point that they're they're very much willing to pay lip service to these ideas, but then when it comes to the point where they have to actually do something about it, that they're not they don't seem to be willing to follow through and, you know, have a bit of conviction. And again, this is this is where I think that young people are being turned off. Well just quickly on the note of boardroom pay. I mean various measures being put in place. So Well yeah, but it's 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 very much like a name and shame thing rather than an actual physical cap. But the problem is if you put something on too quickly and create it to cliff edge, it works exactly like a cliff edge. Things just come tumbling down. So actually, I think this is probably, personally, I think it's the best way to try and give people a chance to bring it down themselves. And it should naturally provide that. Uh, but then also, later down the line, it then provides the option to say, well, you've had a bit of warning, guys. Come on, we're going to start enforcing this now. So I think that... But then why not write that into the legislation? Because it's very difficult to write things into legislation on a promise. You know, that think there has to be solid, tangible things to actually put into legislation. You can't just say, oh, one day we might do this. That doesn't become well, law. It doesn't have to be one day. It could be, say, you know, there's there's pointless examples of legislating for things that are five, ten years down the line. You know, why not say, okay, we're going to name and shame for now, and then in five years' time, we're going to implement this cap. This has given you fair warning. And... You know, so so to a lot of people, it looks like, and to me as well personally, it looks like, again, they're they're sort of making a very small incremental change to attempt to appease people, and in the situation that we're in, where you know workers are pushing for a, a minimum wage that is, I think, pretty fair in terms of where productivity has gone in the last ten years and and how wages have slumped in comparison, but yet. The Conservatives aren't willing to pull down excessive boardroom pay to maybe help companies fund that sort of that sort of wage. And it has to be one or the other, I think. You can't just sort of tell them that you're going to shame them and then not do anything about the minimum wage and not actually give any sort of physical cap on boardroom pay. And it's, again, lip service in, in my mind anyway. Well, I think, you know, I mean, particularly with the minimum wage, it's on its way up, but you can't push it too quickly. Um, I mean, throughout the election, I had a favourite little analogy that I always used to go to when someone brought up the minimum wage. And it's, it's um, I did use a branded name originally, but I'll keep that off here. But uh, it's basically a baker's, a warehouse for a baker's with about 400 people on the national living wage in this warehouse. Um, so if you were to put their wages up to the £10 an hour, and uh, then that would inflate the wage cost of that warehouse by £60,000 a week. Now, if you're the CEO, you've got a choice. You take a personal hit of £60,000, or you make 75 redundancies and increase bread prices by 13%. In an ideal scenario, the CEO takes a hit. But we don't live in an ideal world. And actually, if you do something too quickly, you get 75 redundancies and 13 pence. And then average Joe Bloggs, who voted Labour because he wants more money, has actually got no job. And he's paying more for a loaf of bread now. Yeah, but a lot of the fears around prices going up and and jobs being lost have been kind of debunked in a lot of studies whereby 
a wage gr wage growth shows that you've got more money in the people who are you know struggling at the minute they they don't just you know hoard it or spend it on frivolous things they they put the money back into the economy and and it's a way to help stimulate economic growth like you're never you're never going to get a, a strong economy when people aren't able to spend and the only way they can spend is by you know inflating credit card debt which is going up and up and up and up and it's creating a bubble that is potentially going to burst at some point and you know you people need to be able to live essentially is in in my mind and and with inflation going up with brexit with um you know a lot of uncertainty around around jobs that giving people what is i think a fair wage doesn't seem like a, a poor idea like giving people money to spend pumps money back into the economy it's not like the money's just going to go and disappear i agree i mean you know wages current plans for wages are that uh, I believe national living wage up to nine pounds, and I think the minimum wage below that is about eight pound thirty or something. It's going to be about there or something like that, anyway. Uh, but by when? Actually, sorry. Say again, sorry. By when? What what's uh, the the plan for it? Nineteen off the top of my head is the deadline for that to arise. Okay, so, so surely seventy p and R extra for a living wage at ten pound by twenty twenty isn't an unreasonable you know it's not discussion. But if you were to walk in and do it tomorrow. It'd be painful, and it would particularly hurt small businesses. It wouldn't hurt your giant baker that's got 400 people in the warehouse. It would hurt your small businesses who's got teams of three or four people doing the job. Okay, because so, so your your warehouse analogy was kind of... You know. No, because they would keep going. They can just make the redundancies, no problem. But if you're running a small business, for example, uh, a cafe with four people working there, including yourself working there, doing the same job as everyone else, if you make one redundancy to try and compensate for that, the fact that you can't afford to pay everyone now, then you've actually lost productivity massively. You can't just put your prices up a bit to raise productivity because there's not enough of you there. Yeah, but if you're concerned about productivity, wage growth and productivity over the last sort of 10 years, productivity can continue to go up as wage growth kind of stagnated, and then productivity is also stagnated. But there's, a, there's still a gap between productivity and wage growth and people are wondering why you know worker productivity is leveled off and i think it's a, there's a very easy answer it's that people aren't getting paid enough and you know why why push yourself for for you know a not a starvation wage i don't want to go that far but for a lot of people that's what it feels like especially if you're living in london i agree i mean wages are i mean london perfect example is uh it's barely affordable to live in london these days uh, my brother moved there recently and uh he got a new job, and but because he was retraining, he had to start on a trainee wage, um, which up where I live in Nottinghamshire would be absolutely fine. You could quite comfortably live that. But in London, he's paying £600 for a studio flat on the outskirts of Enfield. And that's the absolute cheap, most budget thing you could probably get in London. So you agree but, wages are too low then? I do agree that they're too low, but I also say that you can't push them up too quickly. Otherwise, you create a problem you need to well, you need to stimulate them so that they actually go up at a natural pace and if that means you need to provide the guidelines for them to go up at a natural pace then great but they need to still be natural and it needs to be controlled if you do it too quickly it all comes tumbling down across the cliff edge again so you you would personally be in favor of maybe a slightly higher wage than the conservatives are pushing for at the minute 
Uh, to be honest, I mean, I am certainly no economic expert, but I would always support higher wages for anyone. If I could see it at £15 an hour and it was economically viable, then that would be great. But it's also worth noting you put wages up and wages lose a value if you do it too quickly as well, which is why it does need to be tapered so that you don't actually diminish the value of the wage by putting it up. Well, I guess, you, I guess we're going to disagree on, on the economic benefits. But... Again, so if you put it up to £10, you're also paying 13 pence more for your loaf of bread. If that 13% increase was reflected, your wage increase isn't actually that much in the end. But again, this is, this is kind of a, a, a myth that's been debunked by numerous minimum wage studies in the US where they, they, you know, people have trialed putting up the minimum wage. And so, for example, restaurants in, in America like don't have a specific, well, in a lot of states, don't have a minimum wage that is set. It's including their tips. But as soon as it got pushed up, the restaurants felt that were, were very concerned, like you're suggesting, that, that um, they would have to lay people off. They, wouldn't be, they would have to put prices up. And, and the reality was that they found that they had more customers, that they were needing to make sure they had extra staff. So... I guess we're I, we're, we're going to disagree on that, but you know I, we don't I don't want to labor on the point all day. Yeah. Have you ever felt like you should get paid for your opinion? Well, now you can. YouGov offer cash incentives for filling out surveys on their site on topics such as politics, public affairs, and commercial products. It's fantastic if you think you're an opinionated or well-informed member of the public. It's great if you're a student and you want to put aside a little bit of extra money maybe for something at the end of the year, bottle of champagne for finishing your studies, maybe just a big night out. You can even get credit for getting your friends and family to sign up. So what are you waiting for? Follow the link in the description to sign up and start earning money from YouGov now. Then if, if we're going to talk in terms of Activate itself, um... So you said you were contacted by um, guy's name that's now is it, he's now left the the group, hasn't he? Yeah. So uh, his name was Fizan, and he was the guy who had the idea at the start. And to be honest, there was a lot of people who had the idea. Uh, I was, you know, aware of uh, maybe half a dozen different little groups of people who were getting together. Most of them didn't amount to anything. But what Fizan did, and whether it was luck or skill, I don't know. But he brought together some people who actually did make it into a real tangible thing. And it's a shame that he has had to take a step back from public. He's still very much part of Activate, but he's had to take a step back from being in a controlling position. Why did he feel that was necessary? Because of the level of abuse that was being directed at him. Well, I mean, we you know, what, what, was, what was the abuse over um, that he felt was unfair? You know, you actually, just to get into that, you said that you felt that there was a lot of unfair sort of accusations, abuse, news stories being leveled at yourselves. Could Do you want to lay out what you felt was unfair for us? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that I, I've kind of had a look and I, I think they're all very much fair. But, you know, maybe I'm not looking at the same things you you guys are getting. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to see what you felt was... So I think when... Uh, I mean, obviously, we put everyone's details on the website. So the personal Facebook group, well, some of us had official ones, but most had personal was all on there. Their emails were all on there. And that's where the real abuse is coming through. And you've got death threats coming through. I received them myself, uh, and I know several of us did. They was being called paedophiles, serial killers, fascists, pigs, disgusting, all the things you could possibly imagine. But we're not at all political criticism or criticism of how Activate is working. It wasn't constructive. 
It was just vicious, nasty attacks. And, you know, the fact that a 17-year-old has proven that he is actually really keen and got a lot of potential in politics, the fact he's brought so many people together, has now been bullied out of politics because, I don't know, to be honest, and I think the kind of gentler politics that Jeremy Corbyn preaches out don't seem to apply to his opposition. And likewise, you know, we had a, a gay board member who was receiving homophobic attacks. So the tolerant left doesn't seem to apply to the opposition either. Well, I think that, first of all, that you're, you're looking at a, a minority of people. But I, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to ask that why... I don't know, were, were you maybe naive in, in, in putting all this information out there? Like, as, as fantastic as the internet is, it's a, a magnification and a magnifying glass upon both the very best and worst aspects of our society. And that if you're going to put yourselves out there for a party that's really not very popular, I feel like it's, it's naive to expect everyone to, you know, just be very happy with that. Look, like, for example, okay, so is it, was it Fizarn Ad Adris? Is that how you pronounce their name? That's right, I believe. So um, they said on the on their profile that went up that has since been taken down that they wanted to promote the achievements of the Conservatives whilst exposing the fake news shared by Labour and its supporters. Um, on their Twitter, they talked about Conservatives having more votes than Labour, and you wouldn't see a Tory at a job centre. You know, they said also on their Twitter that we get Hackney Abbott on a so Diane Abbott on a treadmill to show the youngsters how it's done. You know, if you're putting those sorts of messages out on your personal Twitter, on the website that you're promoting, I think it's it's kind of a little bit snowflakey almost to not expect uh, a backlash I, to, to a party that, that is causing a lot of damage to a lot of people in, you know, disabled communities and people who are having to rely on the welfare state for whatever reason, I think that the, the Tories are causing a lot of pain. And whilst I don't agree with personal vicious attacks like the ones you've described, I think it's naive to expect everyone to sort of stand around and applaud and, you know, give you accolades for starting things. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, you're going to put yourself out there. People who were involved in setting up Activate, uh, there was a lot of naivety in that regard. I mean, I have been involved in politics for a couple of years now, and... I know, but it can get quite nasty uh, on both sides of the spectrum. It's not exclusive to the left by any means. Uh, so I was prepared for it a bit more, I think, with some people. But I think a lot of people weren't expecting the level of scrutiny. And exactly how a minority, again, I do agree that it is a minority that do send the horrible messages, but how nasty they actually can be and to some people. It was... I don't. I don't think it should be a shock. Like well, if you look at the the abuse that, for example, Diane Abbott has highlighted, like a lot, nearly all MPs will get this sort of act. But just just to hone in on her because of you know the mention that she got on 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 Fizarn's Twitter. I don't think it's it's a, should be a shock that there's that level of viciousness out there towards any MP or anyone you know purporting to be campaigning for the better lives of everyone in the country. Is that these. The people who set up Activate, particularly the younger ones, aren't in peace. You know, they don't expect themselves to be thrown into a national spotlight. Or at least I don't believe they were expected to be thrown into a national spotlight, at least maybe quite so uh, violently, because uh, I think it was probably a violent um, entry into the world that we had. But, um, you know, and to a 17-year-old who's just got an idea about creating what is effectively a club for young conservatives, to... You know, why would you sit there and think, 
you know what, I'm probably going to get the same kind of abuse that Diane Abbott gets. You know, you wouldn't make that equation. And I can understand where the naivety has come from. But if you're not that experienced in politics, it's perhaps an easy mistake to make. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of, you know, you're young, you don't quite realise what's, what's going to happen. But I don't know, perhaps yourself and, and other people in the, in the organisation should have realised the, the kind of severity of the reaction that any group supporting any political party are going to get, especially a, a, a party that's as divisive as the Tories in such a charged political climate. Um, you know, uh, there was probably a lot of naivety all around. I mean, our intention was to set up our Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts quietly and just provide them as almost an internal use only thing for our members and to gradually start building our presence. We weren't expecting the attention that we did end up receiving. Uh, and that was naivety in our part. And, you know, if we realised how big this would have become and how quickly this would have become so big, then we probably would have taken that step back and spoke to everyone who said, look, this is what's going to happen. The second we create that Twitter account, there's going to be messages and that's going to spiral us into the media and you will be looked at. You, you know, that's our fault for not warning the people. And I'll hand, hold my hands up to say that I played an equal role in not briefing them. That's fair enough for you to, you know, accept a bit of responsibility. You know, I'll, I'll credit to you. Um, when then going back to more sort of when you were you know getting everyone together for the group like how did you go about deciding who was going to be a part of things how did you you know maybe vet people decide who was who you felt was going to be the group that you wanted to work with to run activate so it's uh, i mean obviously once people started being brought together it became a very almost open forum as we discussed what we wanted to be what we want to achieve and on that basis, it was never sort of the case of, uh, you know, putting up a job advert and saying who wants to do this, who wants to do that. It was more of a case of, you know, who, I don't know, trying to work out where each other's skill sets. And we got to know each other quite well through this process and we learned each other's skills. And so it almost became natural when we said, okay, so Gary's going to be the chairman. There was no question about it. It was always going to be Gary. Um, I Initially, I was going to just be the East Midlands representative. Uh, because I had a lot going on in my personal life. But fortunately, that stuff is now tied up as well. So I can also take over the role of doing interviews and being the shining golden child of Activate. And coming on fantastic podcasts. I really enjoy. <laughs> um, you know, so it, we found out each other's skill sets and people just naturally fell into their roles from there. So it was just sort of a group of like-minded people who kind of came together organically rather than sort yes, of specifically so. choosing people. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, you know, again, all, all credit to you for, for wanting to, to put forward your ideas. Like, I, I personally, I don't agree with a lot of them, but, you know, that's, that's you know, what politics is all about. Uh, <laughs> I was curious as to the statement on, on your website about about not wanting to kind of you're not affiliated with the Conservative Party. You're not, you know, receiving any money from them. I, 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 I kind of have a little bit of an issue with that. In that, you know, Gary, your your uh, chairman was Conservative County Councillor, um, was employed as a campaign manager for the Tories, like working with Theresa May, Boris Johnson. You know, um, Fizz Arn was a part of the Starbridge Conservative team. There was. Who was deputy uh, chair of local conservative association and stood as a county council candidate in 2017? So I think 
I, I don't know. I, personally, I feel that trying to present yourselves as completely independent of the Conservative Party is a little bit misleading. Yeah, I think, you know, the problem that, I mean, there's two aspects to it, really. I mean, for one thing, to get passionate Conservative people together, chances are they're going to already be involved in their local Conservative Association, at least for people who are doing it on this kind of level, you know, actually wanting to set something up and organising voters. Of course they're going to be involved with the local association in some level or not. Um, so it would be impossible for us to actually exclude people who have some affiliation to a party. And it's very much a case that I was the deputy chairman of my local association. I do have ties on a personal level. Activate as a body has no ties. We don't receive funding from the party and we are not an arm of the party. And, you know, whilst individuals within are members of the party may have roles within the party or whatever, that doesn't that doesn't preclude us from also being independent of the party as an organization. Okay, that's that's a fair point. Um I guess I guess you could that's that's a, it's um I guess where where people have the issue is that whilst momentum is also again sort of affiliated with to an extent the cons the, the Labour Party, that they're sort of more individual activists and it's about bringing people into politics for the first time rather than sort of more established members of the Labour Party trying to set it up. Because whilst they supported Jeremy Corbyn, they're not, um, it's not uh, a necessary trait to have to, to be a member of the Labour Party before you join Momentum. So, I, well, you know, that, that's, that's where I kind of have the, the issue with the independent statement. Well, that's something actually that I brought up yesterday. Uh, we had a meeting of the National Committee and I said it's not a requirement. You know, why should it be on our constitution that people are members of the politics? It's not necessary. If people want to campaign for centre of right politics, it is up to them whether they're members of the Conservative Party. So that has actually now been changed on the website. But people have to be supportive of the party, but we certainly don't have to be members. Okay. Moving on to membership of the of Activate as well, actually. The, another thing I was kind of slightly confused about was the charging for membership, £5 for under-25s, £10 to up to 500 for over-25s, and then you know, you're also trying to raise money through selling £100 bottles of signed champagne. And do, you really, do you really think that's the way to get people who maybe wouldn't have been involved in politics before to... And, and people who are maybe sceptical of the Conservatives have this view of them as being, you know, the, the posh, rich people's party. But do you really think that's the best way to get people involved? Like, Momentum don't charge for membership. You can donate, but they don't charge for membership. And I'm, I'm a little confused as to, especially as a, a very small organisation, why you felt that that was necessary. Well, there's two aspects to it. I mean, first of all, with the membership fee, uh, the actual membership fee is five pounds or under twenty, uh, under twenty-five or ten pounds. That's the fee you have to pay if you want to be a member. But up to five hundred pounds is purely because we're using a shop platform on the website at this moment. So to allow people to donate more if they so wish, and people have done, so it's definitely a desire and it's necessary to either. So putting that ten to five hundred allows people to donate more if they so wish to do so. But does it not? Sorry, does it not just seem like? Not money grabbing, but as I mentioned, momentum don't charge for 
for membership, but then they have a donation section, so people can donate as much as they want. And well, I think you know, I mean, there's uh, two different ways to look at it. Momentum was founded with millions of pounds in the bank already from the unions. You know, they already had a huge amount of backing, financial backing. We had fifty quid. We started with fifty pounds, which just about knocked us up a website, and uh, that's about it, really. Yeah, but the so, reason Momentum has the backing from the unions because the unions put forward that money. Yeah, of course, and so they already had the funding there. But it wasn't it wasn't asked for from the membership. It was put forward by supporters, essentially. And the, and again, that the unions weren't being asked for the money. It's it's a, a voluntary thing. Well. Whether the unions donate it voluntarily, we all know who the unions support, and it's... Well, understandably. It's certainly very different to any normal organisation donating money. It's very much a case of it was a political donation with a political aim in mind. We don't have access to those resources. Um, however, we did speak about the membership fee, and when we spoke about it, we worked out what the bare minimum we would need to be. So what the membership fee covers is... How much it costs us to administrate a member, nothing more, nothing less. So it's for us to get the welcome packs out, for us to keep them engaged, to pay for systems in the future that will help us keep it, our membership database up to scratch. There is no profit to be made from the membership fee. That is all from donations. Our campaigning resources and everything else will be purely through donations. The membership fee is because we, we had a choice. We either waited for potentially a very long time to raise enough money to be self-sufficient through donations and not give our new members anything, not send them out welcome packs, not do anything for them, or charge the bare minimum to cover the cost of administrating those members. Um, we chose the latter, and to most, personally, I'm 23, I'm happy to pay £5 to be a member. Okay, well, like the, the £5 doesn't seem too bad to me personally, but... I think the hundred pound bottles of champagne, personally signed by Theresa May and Boris Johnson, kind of perpetuates a stereotype that really isn't very becoming of the Conservative Party already. Well, there's something I'd never heard of until we ended up in whichever newspaper it was in. Uh, it's complete nonsense. Um, I well, believe. Hang on, what do you mean it's nonsense? It's it's on your website. They've never been on a public page of a website, to the best of my knowledge. Hang on, let me let me just pull the website up just just for a second. Then. Okay, well, it has now been removed from the website, but I am looking at screenshots from the site itself that says coming soon with the hand-signed champagne. Um, so I asked the chairman when I first saw them on there because I was just as confused as I imagine you were when you first saw the screenshots. Um, and he said they were on those placeholders in the background, but were never on the public page. And it's how, so did the, how did the screenshots get out? Just... No idea, to be honest. I generally have no idea. Um, it's one of the many mysteries, as far as I'm aware, and I certainly believe Gary when he says they were never on a public page, and they certainly wouldn't go on there, considering the shop is probably going to be one of the last things that we will be setting up, because it's probably the largest mammoth of the task to actually get that rolling. Um, and I personally wouldn't support having £100 bottles of champagne. Fair enough. Just I, I, something I wanted to, to bring up. I, again, I don't, I don't think whoever, whoever came up with it, I think, was being very um, naive in terms of ways to raise money. But there we go. <laughs> Speculation was we probably stuck up there as a placeholder while we were playing around with the system, and someone managed to nab a few screenshots. Um, 
not sure how we even got to see them, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. It seemed like a pretty, pretty well put together piece, but again, it might have just been an idea. But you know. Anyway, um, then I. That's interesting, actually. Yeah, uh, before we go on, so we we're talking earlier about joining momentum and fees. Yeah. So obviously, you don't have to pay anything to join momentum, but it is compulsory to be a member of the Labour Party. So not, com- not compulsory. If you want to join Momentum... Just went you, on the website. Uh, not, if, if, you, if you want to join Momentum, you don't have to be a member of the Labour Party. But if you want to become an activist for Momentum, then you have to be a part I of the Labour Party. I have to do screen share for what just happened when I tried to join and didn't tick the box to say I was a member of the Labour Party. So confirm you can see my screen right now? Yep. Only members of the Labour Party can join Momentum, but supporters can still take part in our activities and campaigns. That's what happened when I went on their joining page. Let me just check that out as well. Actually, give me two seconds. No, I'm I'm curious if if that's the that's the policy. I'm just gonna try the same thing here. Yeah, I just stuck in some random details in it. Let me go through. Just make sure you untick the box where it says I'm a member of the Labour Party. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. That's interesting. Did not know that. I was under the impression you could become a a member without having... You can join the mailing list, uh, same as you can for us, without being a member. But besides that, you have to be a member of the Labour Party. So you're paying money no matter what, effectively. Okay, fair point. That's that's interesting. That's something I did not know. There you go. You learn something new every day. <laughs> every day is a school day. Yep. <laughs> well, schools are all back back today, so, you know. Yeah, I need to get in touch with my local colleague actually about some stuff, but that can wait. <laughs> um, then, sort of to go back to the sort of comparisons to momentum, um, mm. the kind of ideas that yourselves have been putting out there. I think Charlotte Earl, one of your members, put out on when you first launched the sort of profiles page. Uh-huh. She said she was determined to tackle the brainwashing of young people by the Labour Party, and all of these profiles have since been taken down. I wanted to ask you why they've been taken down, and what she meant, essentially, by that statement. Well, I'll go for the latter first. I mean, I've never presumed to know what she was thinking behind anything she would say. That would be very wrong of me to assume, but, um, you know, there is a problem with the way the narrative is going, uh, particularly amongst young people. Uh, the narrative is very much controlled by the left wing. And it's gotten to a point, and I was having a conversation with my wife about it, uh, that someone who is on the far left and towards the more Corbynite socialist views cannot even comprehend conservative views. They can't even accept them. They will just shut them out. I think that, the- that, that could be very much said of people on the far right. No, no, yes, it's, it works under the extremes of either side. And you go too far of an extreme, so all you want to do is block out what the people say against you. And it's the equivalent of trying to tell a geography teacher the world's flat. It's incomprehensible nonsense. It's all they're hearing. So that is something that I think does need tackling. You know, it needs to be that there's an equal platform and there's two messages going out there instead of just one. But you see when you say the left are controlling the narrative, like most of the papers are behemothly against Corbyn. Most of the mainstream outlets, let's be fair, have not been 100% fair to the guy. How many 16-year-olds do you know that reads a newspaper? I don't. Yeah, but that, those, those outlets have sprung up in, in reaction to the heavily right-wing press. 
And there are right-wing blogs out there as well, and there's very fair fair outlets that are, are pretty in the middle. But, again, like I talked about earlier, I think that the problem is that the Conservatives aren't appealing to young people. And then when they attempt to appeal to young people, you get situations like, so there was, I cannot remember the MP, wants to put forward this Conservative Glastonbury idea after seeing how successful Corbyn was at Glastonbury, right? And the point about Glastonbury is that it's, you know, very open you know, very free place, and there's a lot of, there's people from all different backgrounds, but then their conservative Glastonbury was going to be a couple of hundred people, one day event invite only, with some camping. Then there was the Millennial Manifesto that was sort of put forward by the Adam Smith Institute, the neoliberal think tank, and it was all, the way to appeal to young people was to legalize cocaine and ecstasy, and, you know, reduce flight duty for under 30s so they could go to Ibiza cheaper, and and then the conservatives on Twitter are very much about putting forward, in my mind, what is very easy, easily debunkable rhetoric. Like, the conservative Twitter put out that there is more money than ever being spent on schools. Okay, and that by itself statement is, isn't actually untrue, but it's untrue when you come and look at it in terms of inflation, in terms of spending per person, and you're not taking into account, you know, population growth and and for people to just see that and then they see this rhetoric that's being put out there by the conservatives and it's debunkable in about 30 seconds with a google search and i think that that, that is is part of the reason like it's it's this idea that that nothing's wrong and everything's okay is is not the reality for most young people on the ground trying to get a job and you know there are exceptions there are people who are doing well like you know yourself you you're 23 you've managed to buy your own house like really really well done to you congratulations i have a lot of respect for that but for um, the majority of young people that is is something that they can't even imagine being able to do like personally i can't imagine being able to afford my own house until i'm 35 40 if ever and by just sort of continuing to to push forward this idea that everything's fine that the conservatives are doing great it it's going to push is going to turn off people who are facing a completely different reality. And I feel like they're out of touch. And that's part of the problem. I'm not saying you're completely right, to be honest, but when you've got a bunch of grey old blokes trying to persuade 20-year-old voters what's right and what's wrong, it's not going to work. You know, you've got a Tory Glastonbury, which I don't think anyone would be seen dead at. Um, you know, and any things like that. Yes, it's great that people want to engage young voters, but actually... Is a grey old bloke going to engage me? Probably not, you know, because he doesn't, you know, it's difficult to relate to them and vice versa. So it's a case of actually you need young conservatives to appeal to young conservatives. And until the party realise that, I don't think their general message will improve significantly until they start giving more, taking more on board of what they're youth wing does say there is a youth council in the conservative party uh, but i don't think their voices are heard enough right now like that's that's a fair point but then I, honestly i don't see that being addressed in what you're trying to do um because like look at that first i know it's not even taken down but that that first hashtag meme that you put out um was the was the complete continuation of this idea that, that all the tories can do is attack labor and rather than, than just, you know, the first thing that you guys put out there is an attack on Corbyn, who's an incredibly popular figure. Whether you believe that he should be popular or not, the reality is that he is. 
And by putting out just continuing that idea of just attacking the other side, and, and rather than putting forward why you think the conservatives and the conservative ideals, maybe more libertarian ideals, maybe more free market ideals, like the benefits of them. So I struggle to see where you guys are, are, are changing that narrative in a way that can appeal to young people. I completely agree. I mean, we hadn't uh, intended to become public knowledge, and it was almost in the. Well, yeah, but you, you put you put you when, put that you put that meme out there. That that says something about well, your first hashtag, your first thing. Hashtag meme went out there. Yeah, uh, it's not just about the kind of antiquated antiquated nature of, of what you put out. It's the message that was being portrayed, well, I, and that very much continues uh, what the conservatives have been putting out there on Twitter. So, you, to my mind, you're not really offering anything different yet. Well, when it went out there, the hashtag meme, it was. Almost a knee-jerk reaction to some of the responses. The guy who was handling our Twitter account uh, shouldn't have put that up, to be honest. It's not the kind of message we want to roll with. Um, we had a meeting of the National Committee yesterday to decide how we're going to proceed now, since you know we are in the public face. We can't really do a digital launch now because we're already out there and been seen. Uh, so we have decided on how we're going to proceed, and you should be seeing over the next week or so uh, the first campaign, and it's going to be positive. It's not going to be attacking our opponents. It's going to be talking about why being conservative is a good thing. You know, and that's how can we're you, going. Can to you give us some insights into into the sort of message you're going to be putting out there, or is that very much secret at the moment? It's going to be a series of videos okay. uh, about why individuals within Activate and hopefully. If this does catch on quite nicely, we'll get other people across the country joining in and doing their own videos of why they're conservative. And it's going to be, well, it's going to start with my beautiful face, as always, uh, saying why I became a conservative in a 60-second video. Uh, that's the general idea of it, and we're going to refine it over the next few days, and that's going to be the start of our official social media presence. You want to but give us an idea of what, what that... Um... Uh, that 60-second video will contain. I'm not going to steal it yet, just because I still need to think about what I'm going to say myself. Um, well, when can we expect that to go out? I would hope it'll be out within a week, two at most. Okay, well, when it does, to... I will put it in the description so people can watch. Uh, but we also spoke about when we're going to formally launch as an organisation. So we've come up with a date for when we're going to do our launch, and we are at the essence of it, a campaigning organization. So as much as social media is a valuable tool, it's not the essence of what we are. It's about getting out, knocking on doors, campaigning for conservative values on the street. And so our official launch will be held on the 14th of October, and you are the first person to hear this right now. Um, and it's going to be held in the Southwest. It's going to be a nice event. It's going to be an afternoon of campaigning, uh, followed by a sort of Q&A with the press and, you know, time for people to mingle and get to know each other a bit more as well, because for a lot of people, it will be the first time that Activate members have met each other. Uh, I still haven't met the vast majority of the National Committee because we're dotted all over the country. So it will also then later evolve into a more of a social event where we can have a few speeches and talk about what we're going to achieve and what we want to be. So 14th of October will be our official launch. Well, I hope I hope it all goes well for you. Um, as I said, I, I personally, as, as much as I lean left on quite a number of issues, on a lot of more economic issues, I, I like I I am very open to seeing more free market ideas and and 
right-wing ways of solving problems. But and and as, as I mentioned earlier, I think the problem with the conservatives at the minute is that they're not addressing problems that people are seeing. Um, but sort of actually to, to that end, um, as you mentioned, as we kind of touched on earlier about the, the the Green Investment Bank, I was more I was interested in in sort of your opinion on the conservative policies on you know, envir in, on the environment and on climate change as a whole. Um, like, we're, are you going to attempt to influence the conservative policies? Because, like you said, on the thing, you're, you're kind of, you're supporting, uh, you, we believe in the fight in climate change, you believe in an ethical economy, supporting businesses with the environment in mind, and cleaner, greener energy, fostering renewable energy through incentivization rather than punitive methods. But from the, the conservative party as a whole, that that's not really the message that that I'm seeing and a lot of people are seeing. Like, so you know, Theresa May refused to condemn Donald Trump's removal from the Paris Climate Climate uh, Paris Climate Agreement. Um, we're well behind meeting the EU target of 20% of our power being renewable by 2020. Like, we're at 8.2% as of 2015. But whereas countries like Sweden, they they are leading by a reasonable margin, but they're up at 54%. And personally, I don't see where the conservatives are, are pushing for, for any sort of like serious conversion to, to renewable energy. Um, you know, is that something that you guys are going to attempt to influence? Well, certainly. And, you know, that's the whole point of Activate, really, is that by engaging younger voters, we can actually create that focal point for the voices of young conservative voters. Uh, because I think a lot of the time, the party doesn't know what young conservative voters want to actually receive from their government and there's a lot that the government can do many things which are very cheap and simple to do that aren't going to break the banks or require ridiculous amounts of borrowing and if we can gather those voices and start directing them at the party and make a concentrated effort to fight the case for young conservative voters then we'll be able to influence national policy we don't need to be a body of a conservative party to help shape what they do no, that's that's a fair point. I would actually encourage you to look into something that we wrote about um, a couple of months back. In the, it's uh, an idea that was put forward in the US. But personally, I think now is the perfect time for the UK to be looking at something similar. So it was put forward by a US Republican. It's a, a carbon dividend. So rather than like a, as you mentioned, punitive methods, rather than have a, like a pure carbon tax on top of all the regulations that we have at the moment that he was proposing a removal of all regulations and rather than have a tax that goes straight to government coffers, it's uh, paid into a, a fund that is then distributed amongst the population and a year-on-year -year growth in terms of how much, it's, how much carbon is taxed or yeah, how much is charged essentially for carbon and, and the money goes straight to the, the people. And it, it's by removing the regulations, you then encourage people and businesses to, to go for the, the low-carbon option in a way that allows them to drive innovation towards what they think is, is the future, while still benefiting the public who would have to foot the bill for any raise in prices for a carbon tax. Uh, you know, I, I, I was curious as like, what do you thought of that idea? And, you know, I'd encourage you to go look further into it if, you ha if you're not familiar with it. It sounds interesting, to be honest. I mean, there's it's very much the case with not just with cutting down carbon emissions, but with a lot of things that you've got two options. You can incentivize not doing it 
or you can punish doing it. And oftentimes, if you try and punish doing it, people can find a way to avoid the punishment. Whereas if you incentivize doing it, people strive to do more and more and more. So I would always support incentive over punish anyway. Well, this this is why I was incredibly confused at the sale of the Green Investment Bank, because it was really starting to get serious investment put into renewable energy and sustainable housing in the UK. And then it's it's just been sort of sold off and, and, and let fly when, when the government could have had a very big role in promoting and incentivizing and providing opportunities for those sorts of businesses looking to create renewable energy and, and sustainable uh, sources of, of energy that, that it's then been sort of sold off. And would, would that have been something that you guys would have opposed? I don't know, Thomas. I mean, like I said, it's well, it's not something I'm hugely diverse on, so I would have to find out more about it myself. But also, whilst I am a spokesperson for Activate, I am not the voice of the whole of Activate. You know, it's very much a collaboration. I wouldn't even dream of trying to imagine what my colleagues in Activate would want me to be saying about their views. You know, it's very much a group effort. That's fair. I would actually encourage all of you at Activate, and anybody who hasn't looked at it, to, to look into both of those things. Like we, we have pieces on both of them that we'll, we'll link below. Um, just to kind of finish off, there was a couple of, of things I wanted to, to address in terms of things that your members have said and allegedly said. In, first of all, to start with the less controversial one, um, there was George Lee. George Lee Horvath has said that Momentum and their far-left allies might think that they can kill an organization as cradle, but the only thing we took from that is how afraid they are of actual competition. I was keen to see what you thought of that particular statement, because I think it's quite provocative. I think it is, uh, I mean, to probably the best way to do it, it probably could be constituted as fighting talk. Uh, but actually, you know, I think the message itself is true, you know? Um, the fact that we hadn't done anything on our Twitter account, we would merely created a handle, stuck the logo on there and edited a few settings and already the barrage of assaults was coming through and insults. The fact that within a few hours suddenly the media had all these leaks about us showed that it was some orchestrated effort to put us down before we even started. So actually, you know, if the opposition want to silence us, then perhaps that says something about how they're feeling about the situation. I don't know if it's a want to silence rather than a want to kind of bring some of your members back to earth a little bit. But that would be my personal opinion. I don't think it's attempt to silence uh, an opposition voice. I think it's more, more the outrage at the fact that you feel that con the conservatives are offering a, a message for young people. But, you know, obviously I'm going to disagree with you on, on what, what the Conservatives can offer young people, but you know, I, I don't think it w it's a, an or a, again, and I think the, the the orchestrated effort is is kind of not naive, but things happen very quickly on the internet. As soon as something, as soon as it was up, I saw it on r slash politics on Reddit, and from there, a lot of people, a lot of people read that, and a lot of people in, involved in in independent media read that, and I, I, I think that declaring it an orchestrated effort is maybe going a bit far when it could it's things like that evolve very organically online and as soon as one blog has it that it spreads like wildfire very quickly and it, it's not necessarily a a personal orchestrated attack that was that was going on i certainly think uh, a lot of what was on twitter was not necessarily orchestrated was probably more organic but i have also seen plenty of evidence that points towards momentum groups directing people towards saying oh look at these guys 
So whilst it might not be them saying, do this specifically, let's attack these guys, they are very much creating a focal point. And that certainly doesn't help. But I think also the fact that, you know, I have a lot of friends within the media who told me that they already had access to stuff before we even leaked, uh, before we even actually went public. So they already had leaks in their hand, waiting. It was very much a concentrated effort, I believe. Surely that's coming from inside the organization, not, you know, uh, well, bloggers. You know, very much in the early days, it was Unless open. Unless they're hacking into your emails, DNC style. Uh, I don't think it was quite that extreme, but um, no, uh, it was, you know, it was an open forum when we first got started. I mean, until we start taking actual official members, it was very hard to regulate who was coming in and out. And there was certainly a few people who were there to find out things as opposed to contribute things previously. And I'm sure we certainly didn't find them all, uh, which is where these leaks probably came from originally. How, how have you kind of closed up and sort of decided on who's going to be the, the central figures? Is it, have you got it established now? Um, so it's, this actual structure hasn't changed dramatically. Obviously, we've had a couple of resignations over various reasons from people having conflicts with their work contracts to not wanting to receive the abuse online. Um, but by and large, the structure is the same. We've simplified a little bit uh, because it was perhaps a tad overcomplicated before anyway. But Gary still remains the chairman. I still remain a representative for the East Midlands, but I've also taken on the responsibility of becoming a sort of press officer as well. Okay, that's fair enough. Did you get to that point about why you felt that the, the profiles had been taken down? Was it? Sorry, I didn't actually get to that. Um, that was more to protect privacy in the time being because we were getting a lot of people receiving abuse. At least initially, we just wanted to curb that amount of abuse coming into people. Uh, it's possible they will go back on in the future. We haven't discussed it yet, but at least for the time being, they are down for the protection of our members. Because to me personally, it it does seem like not really willing to stand by what's been said. That's the impression it gives, like in, in your profiles, that people received a lot of abuse for you know their comments about brainwashing and sort of fake news being spread by Labour supporters. And to me, it looks like. You guys aren't really willing to stand by what was what was put out there? It's, well, to be honest, I mean, you quoted George Lee earlier. He didn't actually contribute to the decision to bring that down. It was taken as an emergency decision in the initial aftermath, and it's being held as an emergency decision until eventually we'll have a conversation about whether we want to reinstate it once things settle down a bit. But, uh, you know, it's... We had... Kids on there effectively, and uh, our initial priority was duty of care to ensure that they weren't any more exposed than they had to be in essence. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, but I, I, I do hope that the uh, the profiles will go back up in their full form because I don't, I never like to see people. I do as well. I think cowering to trolls essentially, and as much as well, I appreciate, you know, the the need to protect yourself protect especially younger members from abuse that i think it's important to stand by what you've said essentially well i completely agree and i'd like to see them go back up as well in the future once we found a more controlled way to do that and safer way to do that uh, because i for me it's transparency you know i'd like to see who's running the organizations i'm a part of i'd like to be able to pop on the website and just look at who's doing who's my representative or who's my chairman so I think it's a vital tool that we have in the future. 
Okay. And and then sort of lastly to get to the most controversial thing that's 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 been put out there is the the gassing chavs and, and chavicide comment. Now you do say on your site now that that's nothing to do with yourselves, that these weren't members of Activate. Um I was curious as to where they came from if that is the case. So I've done a bit of research myself, uh, because the original yeah, outlet that published the WhatsApp pictures didn't really edit the pictures very well and it was quite clear the names and numbers. So I've done a bit of research and I've come to find that it was three people talking amongst themselves in a group of maybe 80 people. Uh, so it was very much a minority within a minority. Was, but, it, was it like an original, was it um, part of, it activated, part like of before it became an open, while it was an open forum, was it a, a larger chat that yourselves were involved in because two I, mean, I was a member of the whatsapp group myself um and i know a couple of the members were part of that whatsapp group but it was very much an open forum you know i think i got invited into it by a friend of mine who was like oh yeah look at this it's a group of young conservatives and then i got involved but that's all it ever was was a chatting group that anyone could join um and it was closed down shortly after by the guy who was running that whatsapp because he realized the way that message was turning was absolutely disgusting and needed to be stopped, so we just completely closed the WhatsApp group. No ifs or buts. He shut it down, which I think was the right call. Yeah, no, I, 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 all credit to whoever was running the group in that they very quickly pointed out that this was not the the place to even be joking about that sort of thing. Um, and that's honestly where I had the problem with it. Um, I, I, I find that. People can be very critical sometimes of, and that's, this is not defending the statements in any way, shape, or form, that people can be very critical of jokes and things that are taken meant to be jokes, essentially that are said in what people thought privacy. Now, I'm not defending the fact of what they said. My bigger problem was the forum within it, which it was said. And if it's meant to be an organized discussion about how to promote conservative ideas to then take it to that point is really not helping your your situation at all um and as 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 it was as you said it was shut down pretty quickly but i just I'd, i i do want people to consider the things that they've joked about in private because i would be i would put quite a lot of money on the fact that there's been jokes about killing all the tories by Labour members, by, you know, sort of, maybe but, not even Labour members, but further left. And then, sort, you know, I think it's it's important to, to keep that in mind when we're talking about it. It's funny you should say that, actually. I've got a few messages, actually, in the background of what some other people have said. And But I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not, I think everyone has probably got skeletons in a closet that could be dug out at some point. Um, you know, we've always said something about someone at some point in our lives. It's impossible not to have said something unless you're Mother Teresa. Um, probably a bad, actually. I probably shouldn't have used Mother Teresa as the one I went for. Uh, but, you know, so it's disgusting, the messages, though. And it's the fact that they became public domain that makes them worse. Because, actually, a conversation that is in the privacy, although disgusting, doesn't hurt someone. But now they've been seen, people are offended by that. People are hurt by that. And that's when it becomes a serious problem. And, you know, I, like I said earlier, I come from a council background. These people who were saying this absolute disgusting nonsense would probably consider me a chap and would probably want to gaff me with the rest of them as well. So, quite frankly, you know, I... Fuck them. <laughs> I mean, the guys didn't... Only one actually used a genuine name. Uh, but it's safe to say 
if they were members of the Conservative Party, I'm not sure yet, but if I find out that they are members of the Conservative Party, then I'll be passing it on to their associations, you know, because I think it shouldn't be allowed in any organisation, and I don't believe momentum would allow such things to carry on, and I don't believe, you know, any political party would allow it either. Uh, but just on the note of other things that have been said, I've just got a few choice tweets that went out to a young Conservative who I know on Twitter. Uh, so these weren't directed at myself, but I think some of these are quite relevant, but the messages do exist on both sides, and particularly since you said about killing Tories, I'll read this one out first. Delete this, this is from uh, Mick Blinko. Delete this post, your account, and stop acting like Tories serve anything other than absolute burning, unfettered hatred, and disgust. And uh, another one where it says, where is it gone? Where is it gone? Tories are inherently evil by their nature and thrive on the suffering of the masses for the benefit of few. It's an ideological fact. And last one, you don't deserve any respect. You'd kill the effing lot of us for profit, you snide, arrogant, rich prick. Yeah, it's not exactly the nicest things to be said, but... It's not. And to be honest, we could tarnish all of the left with those messages, or we could say, you know what, those are some individuals who are saying absolute disgusting things. Well, I get, as I mentioned, where the problem comes is that this is just Twitter. Like, Twitter is Twitter. You can't, like... Things said on Twitter can never be taken 100% serious unless they're put out by an official, you know, platform that like a conservative party Twitter or something. So I guess it's... If that was your kid receiving those messages, would you be saying, oh, you can't take everything serious on Twitter? I would probably be saying that, but I, I would probably be more disgusted about it, to be honest. But you know, as I said, my, my main problem was the forum within which it was said. Well, uh... You know, I agree that the WhatsApp group was probably a bit more formal than Twitter, but it was still an open to everyone, an open forum for people to talk. And I never even saw the conversation as it happened. I only became aware of it when it got leaked. Uh, but you know what? It's disgusting individuals talking amongst themselves. It's nothing to do with Activate. I mean, like I said before, there was a couple of members of Activate in there, including myself, but you know, the vast majority of leadership well, none of the leadership knew about this conversation, and the vast majority of the leadership didn't take part in that WhatsApp group. So, you know, it's a very loose connection to make it to activate. Fair enough. Um, you know, obviously, I don't have any proof of or ideas who who was actually saying it, so I can't really press much further on that. Just and and then just for our our last point, I wanted to ask what your opinion was on our conviction that that other conservative youth group that's sort of been half set up in the last couple of days and how long you thought Theresa May would last as Prime Minister? Okay, so I'll go for the easier question first. <laughs> Our conviction, let's talk about that. Uh, you know, I wish them the best of luck. If they're trying to achieve the same thing as us, we're not in opposition to them. Why would we be? You know, if they can engage this many young voters and we can engage this many, then actually we're both achieving a great thing. So... I wish them the best of luck, and I'm completely a supporter of what they're trying to achieve. As for Theresa May, to be honest, I think she should stay on as long as she wants to. Uh, it's a very stressful job being in the top, I imagine, and I imagine it probably ages you very quickly when you're doing it. But, you know, I'm completely behind it. I think 
as a representative of a party, she has done very well. You know, she increased our vote share to record high since Margaret Thatcher. Ooh, but she um, did. She did kind of throw away a twenty-four point lead. We did lose the majority, but you know what? If it was you or I in that position, wouldn't you call the same election? You know, and well, I she, might, I might not have declared fervently for six months that there would be no election, and then changed my mind. You always have to remember, as much as we always look to the prime minister or the politicians to blame, there is two dozen advisors sat in the background. And it's not them who get thrown oh, out of it's but... she who makes the final call and decided to be so fervently <laughs> against it. You know, if she kind of left, if she'd left the door open, there wouldn't be the U-turn calls. If she, but you know, at this point, we don't think there'll be an election, but you know, we we reserve the right to call it. And I think that declaring yeah. fervently that there was not going to be an election was sort of indicative but, of her U-turn. Really believed at the time, and you can't fault someone for. I think she's. In fact, I said this during the election, and I said it was one of the reasons why the campaign went so wrong, is that the problem with Theresa May is she can't act. She's too honest as a person. She cannot act. So when you've got her advisors or whatever giving her lies to read, and this is my personal view, but when they're giving her lies to read or stories to go on or whatever, she struggles to do it because she can't say something she doesn't truly believe in herself. I think that is where the essence of it comes in. But actually, we, for once, I personally believe we have an honest Prime Minister. And I can see... That, that's, that is a controversial probably, statement. It's probably very controversial, but that is how I personally believe. And, you know, I think she should stay on as Prime Minister for as long as possible. Um, how long she will, in reality, stay on, I don't know, to be honest. It's a huge question mark. There's a lot of variables involved. I think the knives are out, but I don't know... <laughs> Well, that's true, but I think right now she's in a precarious position. But we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, on that contentious and um, controversial, controversial note, yeah, we'll, we'll I think we'll we'll wrap up before we go on all day. Uh, <laughs> thanks very much for for coming on the show. Um, it was uh, a lot of a lot of fun and quite insightful to be able to, to be able to chat to you. Yeah, it's uh, quite enjoyed actually. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Later in the week, we have an interview with Elizabeth Voss from Rebel Media talking about the DNC hacks. So be sure to tune in if you want to hear that. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>